you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. My name is Randy Rubenstein and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast. At Mastermind Parenting, we're on a mission to support strong-willed kids and the families that love them. Well, hello, hello. I am here with my fave, Michaeline, <laughs> my friend, Michaeline, author of Hunt, Gather, Parent. And we were catching up recently and we decided afterwards, we're just going to do our catch-ups here on the podcast. So this is our first catch-up conversation and we'll see if it turns out to be anything interesting to any of you. Um, and we're just, we're unscripted. We sort of have an idea of what we think we're going to talk about, but you never know with the two of us because it could go in a whole different direction. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming and I'm excited to talk to you like I always am. Oh, me too. Thank you for having me. Okay. So I sent Michaeline this little thing I wrote that is going that goes with a program that I'm in the sixth week of this PAC leadership program, which is a brand new program that I've been creating. I keep telling the participants I'm building the plane as we fly it. So I'm studying them and each week I write a little bit more. And so this week I shared with Michaeline sort of the assignment for this week. And it was all about planning right? Like pack leaders, we have a plan and we have to figure out what that plan is. And it sounds so simple. Um, and it actually is simple, but simple doesn't mean easy. Um, mm. and so I sent it to Michaeline cause I was really like, I don't know, read this thing. And then Let's discuss and see where it goes. And of course, you emailed me back and you said, I have lots of thoughts. So now I'm <laughs> so excited to hear your lots of thoughts about this thing that I sent you. Well, do you want to explain a little bit about- Should I read a little bit? Yeah. Like, tell me your kind of um, thesis of it. Okay. So so this is in week six of a nine-week program. And so we're just starting to talk about, hmm- Pack leaders have a plan and we have to know what the plan is. And when you really think about that, it's like, can you imagine going and working, getting hired for a company and you like, they're, you're like, well, so what time does work start? Like how do, what's in there? People are like, I don't know, just come when you, you know, get up and get ready. And, and you're like, and so what usually happens first thing? What do people work on? They're like, you know, you'll just have to see. We're just going to take it as the day comes. I mean, I think it would be anxiety provoking for most of us because we want to know what to expect. Like we want the person in a leadership position to say, this is, we start work at eight o'clock. 
you'll come in, you'll check in, you'll get your little badge, you'll, we'll show you where your desk is, you'll get all set up. Um, people typically go to lunch at this time. They'll get you trained. They'll teach you the plan. But you need your leaders to be clear on yeah. what the plan is and then communicate it yes. to you. And I think that although we're not running businesses, we're running families, but if you think about it in that way, it's like we have to have a plan. And so in week six, why am I only talking about the plan in week six, week six and mm. seven? Like what the hell have I done for the last five weeks, right? And it's interesting because we had to build up to this point. And really what we've been doing for the last five weeks is mostly unpacking all the unpack leadership patterns, where they come from and why, why they're here. And really understanding, like one mom, it's so interesting, this one mom, she grew up, and I like to call this a case of having too good a mom. Like she, mm, she's like, if mm -hmm. I all of a sudden found out that I needed to be wearing a purple shirt for whatever thing at school the next day, mm. you know, I would come home and my mom would have five purple shirts for me to choose mm. from. You know, mm -hmm, if my mom mm -hmm. had to bake a cake to take somewhere, she's like, I remember her telling all like all my friends, their moms were going out to lunch and my mom was like, oh, we can't, you know, I won't be able to join them because um, I've got to bake a cake. And yeah, and she's like, and it never occurred to me that like, why didn't she bake the cake the night before? Why didn't, like the only right. option in her mind was to bake the cake. So it was fresh right before you were going to serve the cake. And so wow. she said, I realize I never learned problem solving and I never. Right. Or lots it, of things. Right. Or lots of things. <laughs> many, right. many things. Many right. things. Autonomy, right. confidence, self-sufficiency. Like I would not call that too good of a mom. I would put it on the scale of like overdoing it. Well, I call it too good of a mom in the sense that it's sort of the mom is super well-intentioned. And I mean, without knowing her mom at all, I would say that she struggles with She's, you know, she's imprisoned with perfectionism. Everything has to mm. be done in just such a perfect way. And so she doesn't want anything to ever, you know, she doesn't want anything to ever not be perfect. So like, what if she had just picked up one purple shirt or what if they had waited till the last minute and they went to the store and there wasn't a purple shirt? Like, so she's going to like make sure that she goes and there's five purple shirts to choose from. Right. Right. And so I say too good of a mom because I know the intention is, I just want to get this right, right? Like I just don't, you know, and we can look at it from our perspective, but I know that that her mom had the best of intentions. She just didn't know what she didn't know. And so now this mom in my PAC leadership group, she's like, I don't do everything perfectly at all. In fact, I'm, we lack structure. It's chaos. I'm always flying by the seat of my pants. I wait till the last minute on things. And it was literally like a week ago. She's like, I realized like I have a hard time with problem solving. She, it was interesting. She was sharing a story. She's a speech therapist and she was, she, you know, goes and, and, and meets with kids at school. And so she meets with people. And so she said, so I was running late and all of a sudden I realized after I dropped my boys off that, oh shit, I don't have my supplies you know, I don't have my therapy supplies. She goes, where normally I would just have like 
gone by the house and then been later and it would have been a whole thing. She goes, and all of a sudden I realized like, wait a minute, there's got to be a way to get there on time, even though I don't have the supplies, I've got to be able to figure this out. And she goes, and it just like was like, it, you know, hit me like a ton of bricks. She said, I was like, oh, there's a speech therapist on site. For sure, she works with small kids. For sure, she has supplies too. So I just contacted her and asked if I could borrow some of her materials. And she was said, no problem. And it was like problem solved. And she was yeah. like, that's so simple. But what I realized is I don't naturally think that way. Like this is a new skill set that I'm thinking about. And she mm. was also the mom who was like, oh, I'm just unprepared and I'm unstructured. Can y'all give me some some easy meals. You know, she thought that she was coming in to become a pack leader and really was about like meal planning, like better meal planning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. It's pack leaders. Yeah. We figure out what, you know, we find a system that somebody else is using. And we're like, that sounds like a good one. I think I'm going to use that system. If we're not a systematic, like I'm not a systematic brain. So we figure out our systems and we figure out our plan. Um, but we're never going to execute on that plan if we're still stuck in our old patterns. So we got to bring those old patterns that have put us on this path of unpack leadership and probably a lot of chaos. And we've got to like pull them out of our blind spots and understand them better and study them better. And then we're like, oh, now it's out of my blind spot. Now I can see it. So now I can start creating my systems and my plans and figure out what's going to work for me. But you have to do so much, I think, of that kind of excavation work first. Like okay. self-reflection. Yeah. So I I mean, I want to jump in here because I want to debug a myth out there. Yeah. I want to free every man and woman <laughs> who thinks that like doing all that stuff makes you a good mom. I get that it's well-intentioned in like comes with, you know, love and like you're doing your best and you're doing, but at the end of the day, if you look around the world and you look at the past, that's not what makes somebody a good mom. In fact, because she had a mom like that, she doesn't have the, she, you know, you said like she doesn't, this problem solving doesn't come right. But you know what a mom, a good mom around the world. And what I would argue is a good, is the best mom, if there is such thing is a mom's that, that allows the child a lot of autonomy in these situations. Calling this person like the best mom or the, the perfect mom or kind of plays into this myth of like the child's life is the center, right? This very child-centered view of parenting where like, okay, the child needs a shirt. I'm going to get five shirts. The child needs a cake. I'm going to bake a cake and not do, right? But like I, I would argue that the best mom or a better mom is one that goes on with their life and kind of integrates the child's life into it and gives the child all this room to do these things for themselves. Right? Like I, I would yes. say, you need to bake a cake. You know what, Rezzy? Why don't you figure out which cake you want to bake and I'm, I'll support you. You need a, you need a purple shirt. You know what? You, you tell me when we're going to, why don't you ride your bike to the store and get it, you know, depending on the age. Right. And it's like, I think one of our problems in our society is that we and I had this, I had this, and I still, I still fight this a lot, but like, is that we see the more we do as being the better. This, I remember in Tanzania, like in this tent, like laying there being like, oh my God, I am just trying way too hard and doing way too much. And that actually 
what Rosie needs, my daughter's like, is, is for me to stop doing so much for her. And like, and, and I'm not she like a very me, like aggressive yeah. woman, like mom, like, but I was still doing way too much, way too much. Wasn't that your nickname? Wait a bit. Wait a bit. That's right. <laughs> yes. Because I would kept getting my, uh, my, my sweaters caught on the, the acacia trees, which are like acacia trees, which have these thorns. And like, they were like, if you just keep running, you're going to rip your sweater. <laughs> but if you get caught in the thorns and you just wait. And then kind of undo it, <laughs> your sweater will be fine. Isn't that a metaphor for exactly what? Yeah. Complete metaphor. For, I was doing but it's way everything. Too much. It's, a, yeah. It's, it's like, it, it's like, how brilliant was that? Wait, can you do you Oh, remember? they knew right away. They knew do right you, away, like, who, who you I do was. The, <laughs> will you do the, uh, 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 like, do the, yeah, how would, did they? So it's the name of the tree, and it's like, uh, uh, uh. And so they named everybody that I was, we were with, there was another woman with a young girl that was with us and, um, and they named me and her and Rosie and, um, Westerners and Rosie's name was, um, small wild cat, which which is, which is like a civic cat, I guess, um, because she looked like a small wild cat running around the campsite. And then mine was, which was wait a bit. And, um, that is the metaphor for parenting. It's like, it, and I, but I remember just sitting there being like, everything I do is so much more work than it needs to be done. I could do like 10% of what I'm doing. And I would actually for Rosie, if I was like calculating mom level, you know, it, it, you know, how do you, how do you grade a mom or rank a mom? But if I was ranking it off of Rosie's behavior and her well being and our relationship, then me doing 10% of what I was doing would be way better mom. I think it's really important because I think the pack leader, I love this idea of a pack leader because we are leading them. We are the ones that, whether we want to or not, we are the ones that they're looking up to, right? Everything we do, they look up to us. And so we are leading them. But as a pack leader, I want to be, I want to model to her, just like you wrote in in your plan, to step back. And, and let other people do and let them have a chance at doing these things and, and taking responsibility and problem solving and having purpose and having meaning. I mean, we were just talking about like, it is, I think our job to give children the opportunity to contribute and have jobs and have meaning and do have purposeful tasks as our, in our family. I think that is one of our key jobs as a PAC leader. And that means stepping back and like, being there to to help them if they need us or they fall or, you know, to catch them if they fall metaphorically and like step in, but really like step back and, and do much, much less than we're doing. So I just wanted to like, I couldn't, I couldn't let it go. I say things like that for a reason. I a hundred percent agree with you. I say it to soften because I don't think, I think that people who are still under the misconception of what our culture has sort of, I don't know, conditioned us all to think, which is a mother, being a selfless mother, being a mother who always puts her kids first, being a mother who prides herself on perfectionism, who's the kind of mom who, of course, she's always going to have what 
ever supply the school has asked for, and she'll have extras so she can send those in just in case some of the kids who have the kind of moms who don't provide. You know, I think that so many people really believe that to be true. And Mm -hmm. I think that, that people don't know what they don't know. And I'm like, I get it. It comes from a beautiful intention. You really want to, you want to nail this thing. You, you want to put your heart. You care so much. Right. Like that's how I felt. Like I cared so, I would, I traveled across the world for this child, right? There's, there's no doubt, but for me, it was freeing though, Randy, it was freeing to be like, okay, look, if, if I'm about optimizing this child in our, in, in, in us, and I'm about perfection, which I'm not saying I am, but if I was, then actually more perfect is letting go. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, there's so yes. much data on that, right? It's like, and I mean, I'm still stuck in this mindset of like, I want to do the best thing for her completely. It's not about like lowering your standards. It's about raising your standards. Right. And it's like, but I want to teach her a healthy relationship. I want to have her autonomy, which we know is so important for like mental health. Right. And, and so once I realized that all these things that we were kind of grading women on as good parent, best parent, better parent actually weren't really kind of the right things to be grading us on. Right. It's just made up. It kind of was, it was very freeing for me. It was a very much like, Oh, if I relax and I kind of let go of this, then the result's going to be better. I will tell you that in my own personal community, like I was involved when they were in elementary school and preschool, you know, like I would, if they asked for somebody, you know, whatever I did, the I was involved. Once my kids hit middle school, I'm out. And I would say probably the moms, the really involved moms in my, my community, they're probably whispering that because I, <laughs> and, and I'm aware of it, right? Like I, I'm, I'm not the mom who's going to like bring the baked goods. I'm not the mom who's going to volunteer for things. That's not what I do. I did that in the early years. That felt right for me. And once my kids hit middle school, that didn't feel right anymore. My kids, frankly, they're like, okay, we're moving into adolescence. Like we got to figure this shit out. Right. And it's funny because Corey, you know, is a senior in high school and um, he's on the tennis team and tennis was a sport that he just started playing last year. And um, I think he should be, I think he is really proud of himself for it because to learn a brand new sport at 17 years old and like he was playing on, you know, last year it was the JV team and he was playing with kids that were much younger than him and they were better than him. And, um, and I'm like, it's awesome. You know, it's awesome. And he loved it. He's like, this is the most fun game. Like, I'm so mad at y'all that you didn't insist that I play this game much younger. And I'm like, well, you can play it for the rest of your life. That's the good news. (laughs) And so you have a long time, (laughs) right? You have a long time. It's all good. So anyway, this year, um, He's only been playing for one year, so he's not that good. And uh, and so he went and advocated to the coach, and he was like, you know, I really want to be on the varsity team. I don't need to be taken to any of the matches. I just want to practice, and like I love this sport, and I want to practice with kids that are really good. And mm. um, and he's a, he's an athletic kid, so I think he knew that like his skill would improve a lot if he played with with mm-hmm. better players. 
So he's on the varsity. So I, I gave that whole preface to say he's on the varsity tennis team, but don't anyone get any ideas that he's some tennis, that he's Andre Agassi, you know, <laughs> or whoever the latest and greatest tennis player is. So they were new to this tennis situation. And I started noticing I was getting these emails from the parents who are throwing like a team dinner on a Friday night. So nice, like hosting it at their house and mm. I guess providing the food. I don't know if they collect money. And the mom um, the mom who's coordinating it asking for RSVPs and, um, and she's sending it to me. And so I got a little confused. I was like, so are the families ex- like, are mm. we invited? Uh, this is confusing. Mm-hmm. So I asked Corey, I'm like, do I – come to this? Do I need, he's like, no, mom, it's just for the players. No, you're not invited. I was like, okay, I'm good with that. And I was like, well, did you RSVP? He was like, of course I RSVP'd. So this mom is sending to high school varsity Mm. players, you know, and she's just a volunteer mom. She's a super nice lady and giving her time to coordinate this effort. But that is the norm. We're going to email the parents and have them RSVP for their high school aged kid for a oh. dinner that the parent isn't even invited to. So the parent is like the executive assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're the executive assistant. That's what I assistants. call it in, in my yes. book. It's like I'm, I'm like an executive assistant to like a yeah. toddler. Yeah. And that is the norm. And uh, And the mom who coordinated pictures for the school dance last weekend, which we were out, Scott and I were out of town and Corey, <laughs> there was a school dance and all the parents go and they take pictures. And I was like, oh, we're out of town. We won't. I'm telling you, I think they all think we're probably absentee parents at this point, but he's turning 18 on Friday. Like he's going to college next year. And we had, we were going to see the U2 concert. I bought it for Scott's birthday. Like I, I was taking him to that concert and we we're like, oh, you have a school dance. Have so much fun. And the school pictures, parents, they were, the mom was like, you know, I need to get Corey's money and this, that, and the other. And I'm going back to Corey. And he's like, I already paid that. I did like, it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then it, it turned out he sent it, he sent it to the wrong Venmo. He spelled her name with an A instead of an E. So there was a thing, but I'm over here going, wait, I'm out of the loop. Like, and, but and you don't need I need to be in the loop. I mean, no. I don't even think you need to be in the loop when they're like 10, 11. <laughs> I mean, like in many parts of the world, when you're 10, 11, you're like, you know, becoming self-sufficient, like hunting and building and working and, you know, I mean, I I think my point is like, we are not doing, we are doing children disservice by this perception of like, you're an absentee parent. No, you're a good parent who's allowing the child to grow and develop as a child should. I have this book that's coming out soon from John Haig on my desk somewhere. Oh yeah. Here, I'll show you the cover. It's like, I can describe it. It's like this, this young girl in a on a, on her phone and these balls and it's called the anxious generation. <laughs> and just looking mm-hmm. at the cover makes me anxious. This book is very anxiety provoking, but it's all about what we're talking about. It's how kids are anxious because they don't feel like they have control over their lives, you know, at any stage. And and this is talking a lot about teenagers and it's like this type of parenting where you're doing everything for them, you're RSVPing, you're getting all their shirts, you're making their cakes. Like this makes an anxious child. I mean, mm-hmm. th- that is what da- data show. I mean, out of all of the psychology on parenting, that is one of the strongest pieces of evidence is like this perfection parenting, which is not that at all. It's 
increases the likelihood that the child will be anxious as they grow up. I'm trying to say this because I'm trying to say that if you're anybody listening who's not like this, you know, to feel good about it, you know, Mm -hmm. like feel good that you're not like this because this is not. And if you are, then like you can do less. And, and that's how I was. And I felt like I can do less and I can, and actually I think it will improve your relationship with your child, but it will also improve the child's mental health over time. Well, think about it. Are really made to have very, a lot of autonomy. And as they get older, like from tween to teenager, it's supposed to explode in autonomy, right? But think about it. If what's being modeled is perfectionism. Yes. Then, you know, the human experience, as we know, is is super imperfect. <laughs> and so if your parent is always handling every single thing and they show up with perfectionism, then the child is going to be anxious because it, it's an unattainable model. They know there's no way they can ever be perfect. And so they have that inner desire to strive maybe for the perfectionism because that's what's being modeled and it's anxiety provoking because they also, since so much is being done for them, they also, there's an inner knowing that they don't have the skills to do everything perfectly. Well, I think, I think, so one of the things that makes us human is this like constant kind of desire and need to learn. Mm-hmm. This is some of the stuff I've been studying recently is like, this is incredibly important for us to explore and learn. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why video games are so, so exciting and so popular with, with boys is because this is their chance to feel this autonomous exploration, right? So we, so human beings have this incredible need to learn and explore like in real life and physically. And like, I, I think if the parent is doing everything for the child, then where's the learning, and so I think that there's this model of perfectionism that you can't ever attain, which I'm, I would argue is not really perfectionism. It's just some made up view of what's perfect parenting. But then there's also a sense of agency that you've lost, right? That like people get anxious and depressed when they feel like they don't have a control over themselves, right? You know it, right? If you feel like the world is very uncertain or you have this very uncertain event in your life, you get anxious, right? Like what's going to happen? Humans hate uncertainty. So that so if you don't feel like you get to choose what's going on in your life, then can you imagine feeling that all the time? I think a lot of children feel that way all the time. I don't know what's next because my parents deciding for me. So you have mm-hmm. that, right? And then on top of it, you don't have kind of this really required development stage of like learning to be self-sufficient, learning to solve problems, learning to learn, right? And so experts have known this for decades and yet we still kind of go down it is this this very controlling uh version of parenting where we think perfection is doing everything for the child it when in fact we could stop doing everything for the child probably around four (laughs) and i know that sounds crazy but like that's i mean i stopped doing everything for rosie around age four you know, and that doesn't mean I don't help her all the time. I help her all the time and we work together all the time. But like last week I was up here working at like five or six o'clock and she wanted to make cupcakes and she just made cupcakes and like nobody helped her, you know, and she's eight. So great. I'm just saying that like you, you can pull back like so much. And, and I get, I get your point of like, 
other parents judging. There's no doubt about that, right? That there's, it's not just, it's the other parents that have this perception, right? And that put that on you. But it's like what you said before, like, you know, we're, we're the leaders of this. And like, but also at the end of the day, if you really wanted to do what's best for your kids, then you, you just have to be strong and be like, look, I know this is actually better for my child. I know for Rosie that if I treated her the way you're talking about at the beginning of this, like getting the five purple shirts, making the cake, like if I did that, we would have a horrible relationship. So I know yeah. that, you know, and maybe kids are, some kids are different, but at the end of the day, like to me, better parenting, more perfect parenting is doing less. I completely agree. And as you've said many times, it's saying less, right? Yes, saying less, absolutely. it's doing less. Like, And I can't tell you how, I mean, I would say my number one request I've gotten from parents over the years when I've coached them, right? So the parents that come and they work with me and once, you know, they'll run their scenarios by me and we'll problem solve it and I'll coach them. And so many times people are like, gosh, if only you could come up with something so that like we can just memorize your scripts, like maybe mm. a game or uh, some kind of a tool so we can say things just like how you say things. Mm. And that has been the number one request. And And I think anyone who requests that is that parent that struggles with the perfectionism. Because, mm -hmm. you know, they think there is a right way to say things. And mm -hmm. and when I workshop and problem solve, you know, I give examples, but I let them know this is my right way of saying things because it's, you know, what's coming out of my mouth. But I named this mastermind parenting because what I want you to do is I want you to get out of your own way and mm. understand what's going on up here. If you're a person that struggles with perfectionism and you think you have to get your kid the five shirts and you're practicing mastermind parenting, then you're onto yourself and you're like, why the fuck would I need to get five shirts? Like, and I don't even know what color purple she likes. And who knows? Like, we got to talk about this when she gets home and maybe tonight we'll head over to Target and see if we can find a purple shirt together. Like, I'm happy to yeah. drive her to Target, but it's her body. It's her school event. Like, why would I think that this was my responsibility in the first place? Like, what is coming up for me here? What am I so worried about? Like, we're asking ourselves those kinds of questions. Because when you ask yourself those kinds of questions, then you're just on to yourself. Then you're having a conversation with your kid. Then before you know it, you're like, I, why did I think I needed the perfect script? I needed to just, like, I know how to have a conversation. I'm actually pretty good with people. <laughs> and so, right, right. like, I just treat my kid like, oh, they are a person and I am crazy about them. And so now I get to just talk to them. Like, a human like human to human like there's no there's no scripts to memorize and so you know it's interesting because yeah. i think this fits with with your planning right i think when mm -hmm. you talk about like you need a plan for me this is like i have kind of like two north stars two big ones like they're my two major goals as a parent and then i kind of everything kind of comes from those right and so i don't i don't really need a script and i don't need a 
you know, tip sheet and all this stuff, because like, I just, is the action is, are the words, the moment aligning with these goals or not basically. Mm. And so when I read your plan, it reminded me of one of my major goals is like to teach Rosie how to interact with people in a respectful way, Mm. you know? So it's not about being selfish or being selfless, right? It's about being respectful to her and treating her with respect, but also making sure she treats me with respect. Right. And like teaching her that, because I don't think kids are born knowing that. So it's like, this is a process. And a lot of kids aren't taught this. I can see this in the school that we have and the school I've worked with, but they want to know that they want to know how to treat people with respect because then they get treated with respect back. Right. There's like a, a teaching her reciprocal relationship. And a lot of, I think in your plan is that like, and what you're talking about, like talking to them as people is like, you're teaching them to treat you respectful and you're going to treat them with respect. And so hopefully as she, she grows up, she's going to find friends and boyfriends and whoever that do the same. Right. So that's one of my like North stars is like teaching her to be respectful and then like to treat people with respect. And then, The second one is to learn to be self-sufficient and have the skills she needs to take care of herself. Right. And, and so if, if I bought the five shirts or I made the cake or I'm just kind of this, it would go against that. It's like, okay, I just asked myself, okay, well, what can I do here to support her, treat her respectfully, but you know, help her learn to be self-sufficient because that's, I mean, if you just look at the data, that is what makes kids feel good you know, mentally good is like learning to be self-sufficient. And so that's when I think of like pack leadership planning is kind of these like big goals. And then what do I need to learn? So I support these goals as well as what do I need to teach her? So good. I mean, you know, what's interesting is like week five of the program, well, weeks four and five, it's the title of it was, what do I want and what gets in the way? And we literally spent two weeks really having them walk through. I said, you know, and I explained and I taught them a whole class about, I, I basically the main premise of this one class was it's super normal to focus on what you don't want. And, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. that human negativity bias, like it's a survival instinct for us to scan yeah. for all the things that feel unsafe or dangerous, yeah. right? And so I'm like, so doesn't mean you're, pessimistic. It doesn't mean you're negative Nelly. It just means you're a human. And so now we're going to override that programming, that conditioning, and we're going to say, well, what do I want? It's a much harder question to answer. And I really gave them two weeks to really define what do yeah. they want? So like you having those North Stars. And and I said, you know, you have to know what you want before you can create a plan, right? Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, you, so like it, this is what is going to anchor you. And most of us, especially women in our society, we're not asking ourselves what we want. You know, what restaurant, what are you in the mood for to eat? I don't know. What are you, whatever you're in the mood for, you know, or I mean, so like all that people pleasing and all that old conditioning, I, I'm like, yeah, that is unpack leadership. We as pack leaders, we have to ask ourselves, what's important to me? What do I want? Mm 
And then yeah, and our kids need that. Yes. They need that. They want yes. that, right? They want us to be, I think it's funny because I think our society actually teaches women like the opposite of what I'm talking about with like a reciprocal relationship, right? In, in a mutually respectful relationship, right? Like this, this kind of selflessness that you're talking about in your, you know, this pleasing people doing everything. This, that is not a reciprocal relationship. That's what we're taught, right? That's what I, I grew up under and watched. And that's what I, you know, I saw at work at NPR. Women were there to, for a long time, they even said like women were there to you know, this is journalism. Women were there to take care of the men and do the work behind the scenes work or drink with the men when they were traveling. I'm not kidding. This was like said, like not that far from my time. Right. So I think it's good to like acknowledge like this is what we're taught. This is the programming a lot of us have had. Right. Is that like when people ask us to do something, we jump. Right. I remember when I was first like kind of, well, what's a reciprocal relationship? What's mutual respect? I was like, watching myself, like Rosie would say something or Matt, my husband would say something and I jump and like, what? Oh, 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 you know, because this is how I was programmed to be right from society, my family, movies, books, you know, and it's like, but that's not, yes, we can help each other, but we, we have to also like realize that people need to do things for themselves because that's what makes them happy. And the other builds resentment in me over time. And then I get angry. Right. And it's like, so I think so much of us are, are just programmed and taught not to do this. So it's like, of course we don't do this. Right. Um, but I think we can definitely learn it. I definitely feel like I've learned it and it, it just kind of comes from this idea of like, does that feel respectful? You know, that's a question I ask myself a lot. Like, does that feel respectful? Like, and I asked Rosie to ask herself that, you know, does, do you feel like the teacher respected you? Do you feel like your friend respect, was that respectful? And I mean, we've talked a lot about like what that means. And, um, and so I feel like that's like maybe this idea of like not being selfish or, or being selfless is, it's not so much about me being selfless. It's more about me wanting her to treat me with respect because then she's taught, right? to treat with respect. And, and then the relationship deepens. I, I worry a little bit that like, you know, couching it as like selfishness in some way is missing kind of this deepened connection that can happen when you're, when you're working together. Right. It's like, I don't know. I don't see it as selfish. I think is what I'm trying to get at. I see it as like, actually, this is better for you, you know, for me to step back and me to have my own life and me to do my own stuff, but you're welcome to come into it. Um, but also it's teaching you like to not please other people all the time, but also to, to treat them well, right? When they treat you well, you treat them well back. And so, well, well, for me, when I write self dash ish. Yes, yes, yes. You, right. Good to point that out. It's not self ish. It's self dash ish. <laughs> right. It's self. And what does that mean? To me, it's, when you want people to treat you with respect, you have to treat yourself with respect first. And so asking yourself, what do I want? You know, if somebody's yes. like, hey, could you get yes. me a glass of water? Could you do this thing? And like checking in with yourself first. Yeah. And lots of the time, as you know, as I know, because when we're, we are in that pack leadership mindset, right? It is our pleasure. We come from a place of yes. It's like when that documentarian yes. was staying at your house and you were you got Rosie a bowl of cereal or something, and you're like, yes, yes. Why? She was like, why are you 
doing this for her. And you're like, because I want to help her. So so that's the thing is that when you check in with yourself first, it doesn't, it's the, it, it doesn't mean you're a selfish person. It means you have respect for yourself. Yes. You're checking yes, in with yourself. And when you do for other people, it's always coming from a place of generosity and because you actually want to do it because it feels good to be helpful. It feels good yes. to be generous and to help somebody you love out, right? And so Absolutely. when I say the opposite of selfless is self dash ish. It's starting with yourself. And then I think I said something like, yeah, but we're not narcissistic assholes. Like we're going to check in with ourselves, And of course, it's our pleasure to show up for people that we love. Maybe not all the time because we ourself won't want to all the time. That's but a right. lot of the time right. ourself will. And so we start with ourself first and just check in and then we show up. That's right. And I, I, I think there's an element of also like, hey, let's work together. Yeah. I think that is missing in a lot of our conversation of, not our conversation, but our society's, mm-hmm. our culture's conversation with parenting. And when a kid asks for you to do something, you can say, no, do it yourself. <laughs> you can say yes and jump up and do it. Or you can also say, hey, let's do it together. You know? And and I think that, hey, let's do it together is like this sweet spot, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to get the pleasure of like helping her and supporting her but I'm going to like teach her how to do it. And I'm going to get this great like time with her where we're like working towards her goal together. You know, I mean, there's so many times when we're doing something together, like cooking, um, hanging up the laundry. I really like putting the laundry outside. I don't always do it, but I like it because it's, it's pleasurable to me. I know that's crazy. And if you have more than one kid, I get it. You would never want to do that. But, but for me, it's a pleasure to hang the laundry on the line and, you know, like the conversations Rosie and I've had during these times, they're priceless, right? Because it's just, this is when she tells me everything, right? When she's like, oh, I've got to tell you about Jane. I mean, she's only eight, but I can imagine like, because we're relaxed and there's no pressure. And like, and I realize that like kind of getting rid of these times where parent and children are like kind of doing these mindless tasks together, kind of that seems stupid or that we've, is actually like this wonderful moment of connection and sharing. And like, to me, I guess my point is like, it's not you do it or I do it, but maybe, you know, hey, let's do it together. And then it's not so much like a selfish, selfless task, right? It becomes, and then the beauty is that like, when you, sometime I'll ask Rosie to do something and she'll be like, together, mom, together. (laughs) I'm like, okay, got it together, you know? Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about being a pack leader since you've talked. I love this idea. Sometimes I catch myself actually being like, because I'm the pack leader in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I don't think of myself that way, but it's the truth. I am the pack leader. And, um, but I think it's about really teaching them how, how to treat you right in a certain way and how to treat other people in a way where the relationship becomes meaningful and really close and loving and safe and um, something that my parents my parents didn't teach me. You know, society. I, I don't just blame them. Society didn't teach me. And that's what I want as a pack leader. But don't you think that the real generational pattern, I mean, I know you read that book, uh, you know, you've read 
10 other books probably and written to since you read that emotionally emotionally mature, mature yeah. parents yes yeah, yes yeah yeah it's true i mean th- there's definitely emotional immaturity i mean how can people be truly be pa- the kind of pack leaders we're talking about if you're still operating from that place where you were raised you know and maybe there was like you know, toxic shame, all these big buzz terms, right? And <laughs> and so you're living with that and it's deeply rooted in your body. And in fear, lots of fear from anger, yeah, right? Lots of fear, lots of feeling, lots of messaging that lives within your body that you're not good enough or that right. you need to dance for your supper and prove your worth and all that, all that jazz, right? And jump when people ask. Yes. Yes. Make life easier. One of my big things was, is be a no drama mama. Like do Mm. not bring your problems. Do not inconvenience Mm. other people's lives with your problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so somewhere I got that message that, yeah, not, it's not a big deal. I'm I'm fine. It's, um, it's all good. Right. You know, so I would sort of. I mean, I think there's a lot of messages out there for moms not to bring their you're only, what does it say? You're only like looking out from the castle. What is the, the term, right? There's no, you can't look in. Nobody can mm-hmm. look inside the castle. It's only from the outside, you know? Um, but I think that's the piece is that we, I like to call those parts, like they're just like whatever your flavor of soundtrack is. You know, we all yes. have them, right? Yes. And so we all have these old soundtracks. And one of my old soundtracks was, yeah, don't, you know, it's like gaslighting myself. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Come on now. Mm. And so we all have these soundtracks. And those soundtracks, that's what we started to kind of touch upon and do in the last five weeks of that PAC leadership group is we have to find those soundtracks because there Mm. is a reason why you are in unpacked leadership patterns. And so it's like an archaeological dig, uh, you know, into yourself. And we all have reasons. We all have familiar patterns. Most of us, because of what, you know, whatever the soundtrack is, it's some, it's most likely some flavor of, yeah, you're screwing this up. You screw everything up. You'll never figure this out. (laughs) And so when that soundtrack is playing in the back of your brain, even though nobody realizes it's playing, you think you're going to be showing up as the pack leader who's like, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we do it together? And yeah. right, like, what do you think would be a good option? You know, are we coming up with the what and how questions? Are we prompting the child to to start solving their own problem? Are we, you know, going and saying, I really love fresh clothes. My life is so unchaotic <laughs> and cluttered. I am gonna go and we're gonna just hang up the clothes and we're gonna bond <laughs> while we <laughs> But that's not how it works. Most of the time it's like, you know. But you've done a lot of work. My point is, is that if we think about people that are listening right now, and I do think this is an important conversation. I'm glad that you pushed on the too good of a mom, really? Perfectionism, really? Because I'm like, no, I'm saying that shit tongue in cheek. Like I know we, we are there, but I'm thinking of the people who are just coming into this conversation. And if you're like, I don't really get this. I can't imagine me and my child just having a beautiful moment hanging clothes or <laughs> folding clothes. Like 
that sounds lovely. Good for you. But my life, do you understand the shit show that I'm dealing with? And so I'm like, but, but we all have these soundtracks and, and what we're just giving anyone who's listening to this, if you're still listening, it, we're just giving you a window into what it looks like for us. And, and we're just trying to unpack it. But I want everyone out there to realize this process, like Rosie's only eight. Michaeline, you started on this, I mean, when Rosie was like, what, three? Two. 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 Okay. Yeah. So in the scheme of things, you know, prior to six years ago, you were like, you were not where you are today. I mean, Rosie, Rosie even says like, she'll tell people that my mom was really angry and, and yelled all the time until she wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) She was a really mean mom. I think I've even heard her say, no, I, no, it's, 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 it's true. Same with I me mean, though. No, it's the same. <laughs> I mean, look, I always, I tell all the moms I'm working with, you know, I share every, all the bits of my story and I'm like, no, my goal is for you guys to figure this shit out in way less time than it took me. Like I've been at this for 25 years. Whenever they're like, gosh, if you only you had some, a card deck with all the scripts, I love the way you just said that. I'm like, okay, I have an almost 26 year old. Like, do you understand like that's a, a quarter. It's not like it is a quarter of a century. It's a long freaking time. And so I've been at this for a bit. And so I just want everyone to realize like we're sharing where we are now and the way we see it. And it wasn't that long ago, even less time for Michaeline, that we were where you are. And so it's like once we pull some of these patterns in these conversations and and they're out of your blind spot and you can see it, you'll start to notice everywhere you're with a group of parents and, you know, it's like the humble bragging of who is doing the most shit for their kids or, you know. Yes. The competitive, the competitive Mm -hmm. parent. I know. No, life is not perfect by any stretch of the, even the hang up the clothes is in. I'm just talking about like, you know, these very kind of very small moments of life where, you know, where you see the child, like you say, as this human being, and they see you as this human being, and you're just two human beings kind of there. And I I think that's, that's like another goal is like, is like really seeing my child as this like vulnerable human being, right? And allowing her to see me as this vulnerable human being, like, right? That is kind of the, which are, I think what we're trying to get at is like, that's the genuine kind of talking to them. That's off script, right? There's no script when you see a person and you value and respect and love them as as their vulnerabilities and their weaknesses. And you just say, I love all of that. And, and I think I want Rosie to feel the same way about me, which means I need to be vulnerable and I need to be show weakness and, and be honest about my weakness. You know, and isn't um, that just, I mean, that's connection. That's what connection yeah. is. I mean, that's why it feels so good. Yes. That's why I think it's like, we're like, when we see, all of the pressure and the podcasts out there that are touting all these performative tactics, 
right? To be this kind of parent that knows just what to say. And I'm like, but you're not supposed to know just what to say. You're, you're like, I, I hate being in conversations with other people where it's just how's the weather conversation and you- Or the so, HR conversation, yes. which is like very common now where it's like, I hear you. I understand you. I'm just like, no, I don't want you to hear me and understand me in that way. <laughs> like, you know, like that is, there's people that like adults that talk to me that way, like not in HR, you know, and I'm just like, this is not, <laughs> this is not friendship, you know, you know, and I also want to say like, most of the time you don't say anything to children, like nothing. You know, you just have to hug them, mm-hmm. you know, that like touching them and like holding them and hugging them again, just seeing them as this like vulnerable, you know, there's a, a line, I think maybe in the whole brain child, you know, the, the famous mm-hmm. book, I think it's in that book. I'm not sure, but it is Tina Bryson, Payne Bryson talking about her own child. And it's, it's stuck in my mind for years where she talks about how, he, the kid was upset, young child in the back seat and about something. And she was getting ready to like explode on him because, you know, she was frustrated or whatever. And she just looked up in the rear view mirror and saw his face. And she just, there was like a moment where she just saw him as this, like who he was, this little child who's trying hard and is like, you know, clearly not capable of holding in whatever's holding in. And like, you know, she just, I forgot what she says, but it was just like, basically like in that moment, she, she saw him as a human being. Right. And who is this? A young child, very vulnerable, very insecure, very needy, you know, and, and it stuck with me because I started trying to see Rosie like that, you know, as is this like, and I, I've started trying to see my husband like that. And my mom like that, like this, this kind of like a softer side. Right. And just as a human being, who's trying to connect and trying to do what's right. And I mean, some days I think about like, I'm all Rosie has, you know, me and her dad, that's it, mm-hmm. right? We are it. Like she has some friends and some teachers, but like at the end of the day, we are it. And so like, I just need to be softer, slower, gentler, you know, it's like, there's no script. It just is like compassion. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, can I see her like Tina Payne Bryson saw the kid, right? In those moments, can I be? And if I can't, then maybe I walk away for a moment, you know, mm-hmm. or like, or I say something like, I'm getting grumpy. <laughs> That's my new line at night. I'm getting, like, before I get really angry at night when I'm like, I'm tired and I want to go to bed, you know, I, I, I feel it first and I'm like, I'm getting grumpy. I'm getting grumpy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. not blaming anybody, but the grump is coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Rosie's kind of like, okay, I, I, I understand that. You know, because we do. We all get grumpy. So I don't know. That was a big digression. <laughs> no, I, I, I absolutely love that. Like, so, and I'll share this little human story. Um, it's actually something that Lindsay, you know, Lindsay who works with me, You've heard me talk about Lindsay. She's yeah. I call yeah, I call her my mastermind parenting co-parent. And so um Lindsay was sharing with one of our groups yesterday. So she's got three boys, and it's her middle boy who was the reason that she originally joined my group. So she used to be a client. Now she has worked with me for like six years. Um, I wouldn't still be doing what I do if I didn't have a Lindsay. Like she's she's my co-parent. But 
Anyway, so Lindsay's son, who she joined for, is now in seventh grade. Mm. And all through elementary school, um, he never had a friend. And he didn't act like it bothered him. You know, he has two brothers, and he would come home, Mm. and they're all like two years apart or whatever. And he he didn't seem to mind. And then he went to middle school, and he's at a small school, and he's made some friends, and – I, last night she, so she says, well, I just got home from doing a double header in baseball, which years ago I, I gave Lindsay permission. She said this changed her life when I told her she doesn't have to go to baseball games. Nice. And I, she was like, I, I never even considered that. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, what do I do when he gets home? I was like, you get to be excited to hear he you get to hear it firsthand from him like how was the yeah. game what, what tell me about it like was it fun what was your favorite part like you get to hear about the game you get the cliff notes from the game from your kid and yeah. if it was a disappointment you get to sit with them in the disappointment and if it was wonderful you get to celebrate again with them like it's the best you know go if you want to go but if you don't want to go you don't have to go so for whatever reason she went to two baseball games, I guess two different kids um, last night. And so she said, so I went and she's she's like, I was freezing. I was hungry and I got home and I guess it was the oldest and the youngest. She So she says she gets home and she's like, yeah, it's like, I'm grumpy. I'm freezing. <laughs> yes. I spent all these she's hours. Uncomfortable. She yes. was uncomfortable yes. in her body. And yes. so she sends pictures how I guess she had taught, called Daniel, her seventh grader. When she got home, he had run her bath with and put oh. Epsom salts in it. I mean, yeah. Wow. Um, and then he had made her a little snack. And it was like a fruit medley. There was mango. There was Aww. all these different fruits. And he put it in a little bowl and he put it next to the bathtub. And I think he even like set it up for her to like watch a show on whatever thing and like soak in the oh tub. My gosh. Seventh, seventh grade, grade boy. Seventh grade boy. And, uh, and my only response, she shared it with one of our groups. And my only response was, and you worried that he didn't have empathy. She was convinced oh. that he – Oh, he was – he literally – was diagnosed with like depression. And I think they were hinting around at that ODD diagnosis, oppositional defiance oh. disorder, oh, uh-huh. which is basically like, like, yeah, sorry, you're, you're screwed. Like your kids, <laughs> like, like that ODD diagnosis is like a bullshit diagnosis. And so mm. she lives five minutes from the Houston medical center. Like she has access to some of the best doctors yeah. and she, and so depression and potentially ODD. And now set, we have a seventh grade boy and I'm like, yeah. And you thought he didn't have empathy. Oh, I mean, I think that's, people always ask like, what is like one thing that you learn from traveling? And, you know, I've been researching now parenting around the world for like eight years. And one of the things that comes up over and over again is that we just underestimate our kids we constantly underestimate them and it and physically mentally everything i mean like when they're little we overestimate them emotionally but as they get older we underestimate them on everything and um and i think it go- goes back to this like pack leadership planning thing where we think we we can't take care of ourselves because we need to take care of them all the time that is underestimating them 
right? And that they actually want to take care of us too. Mm -hmm. You know, that taking care of us feels good. Mm -hmm. Like we said at the beginning, like when you help people and you help somebody that you love, it feels good. So Mm -hmm. why not have, give them the opportunities to help us? Like, it's not even just about us not doing things for them. It's also about teaching them to care for us and, and help us. And I think some of the most wonderful like where Rosie feels like the most excitement and pride in herself is when she does things for me and my husband or my, my mom now. I mean, I think we're denying them the opportunities to help us. You know, it's funny. There's like one of my favorite stories of, I was talking to this researcher. She's a Mexican, Mexican American um, woman. And she said when she, I might've told you this story, but when she was, when she was little, she watched the Brady bunch and she was like, what's this thing where like you, help around the house and you get paid. And she was like, mom, there's this amazing thing where you like help around the house and then the parent pays the children. And her mom said to her, Mexican immigrant, she said to her, she said, yeah, interesting. She said, you know, actually, do you live here? And yeah, do you eat here? And yeah, do you sleep here? And like, okay, well then you better start cleaning or I'm going to charge you money. Or you better start helping, right? I'm going to charge you money. And it's like kind of this, like we have it kind of flipped around, right? That that we're supposed to be helping them so much, but actually they're also supposed to be helping us. Yes. You know, and that is really that like mutual respectable, mutual respect relationship is we help each other. And so I think that's kind of what we get out when we say like selfish, selfish, but it's it's Mm -hmm. like, it's just like helping each other and like, and it feels good. It is an opportunity for the child to feel good, to grow, to, you know, like I said, there we are, we're all they have. So imagine we've hung the moon, we've hung the stars, and mm-hmm. they get to help you, you know? And but isn't it interesting because it's kind of like people who kill intrinsic motivation by making it all about rewards and bribes, yeah. you know, paying yeah. for grades and um, paying for chores. And and now all of a sudden you have a kid that, that they naturally want to help, right? We come yeah. into this world being cooperative animals, Super. right? So like we're meant to- human, that we are like the most cooperative monkey primate out there. That's what he, being a human is, is this like drive to cooperate. Right. And so then we accidentally- ruin it by making it about this external bribe. And then you have somebody who is not wanting to be cooperative anymore because they've been trained not to be cooperative. They've been trained. It's like they're the animal at the zoo who's just waiting to get, you know, somebody to throw them peanuts or whatever it is. It's like they're not doing what their natural instinct is designed to do. Instead, now they've just become about all this artificial thing. And I think when parents, where the, I think they often kill this whole like I want to help you and and you get to help me and we get to do it together and that beautiful feeling right when you when you show up that way and yeah. you're connected to someone and so I think where a lot of parents get it wrong is they're like this is not a hotel really I'm not paying you in fact you need to do this and this or I'm docking you your allowance. Right. And then it's I like, mean, listen to that voice. Yes. Really? That's so- <laughs> like, I mean, like, so it, that, that's like what I get back to, like this idea of like mutual respect. Like 
who would you ever talk to like that? Right. In a, that you respected, right? Like you would just, ne- like, that's how my dad talked to me. And sometimes my mom talked to me too. And I will talk, and if I, if I get into it, I'll talk like that to, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to Rosie, you know, if I like really, Matt will be like, Michaeline, you know, and I'm like, well, it's in there, you know, but it's like, so it's like, no matter what you say in that voice, whatever the script is that you, that somebody obtains from the web or from whatever book in that voice is never going to work. Right. <laughs> like it's just going to, it will cause fear and maybe they'll do what you say because they're afraid, but it's, but it's like, that's what I kind of say. It's like, it's not about the script, but it's about your feeling towards them, how you perceive them. Are you the well, person that's like in charge and you're going to tell them, which is the voice I've just heard. Right. Or is it like, okay, we're kind of a team and I probably know more than you about what's good for you. If, you know, when you're little, maybe not, but like, I want to help, let's do this together. You know, it's like, it's funny because the people tell you, like, can you just have this, like, what did you say? This box of like cards? Yeah. Like you, a like, card deck with scripts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, because it doesn't matter if you had that card deck, it's, it's your tone that you're using is why it works. Mm-hmm. It's the way you are perceiving the child and um, feeling for the child that works because you're not that's using so that voice. You know, right? And it's like maybe that, that's it, the training is like just, just like that's why I, people also. I, I always say, me and Rosie's relationship changed when I started changing the way I thought of her. Mm-hmm. Is like what I said, as this little tiny human being that's trying the best that she can and really wants to please me. Can I talk to her that way, versus this kid that's like manipulating me, pushing my buttons, just wants to like take as much as possible from me? Then, you know, once it's, once I shift my perspective of her and who she is, and I would argue like scientifically, it's more accurate as this little tiny being that's trying her best and really wants to help. Then I started talking to her in a different way and then everything changed. Right. So it's like, okay, the deck of cards is not going to work if you don't change how you see and think of the child. Right. It's so true. Um, Okay. We're going to put a pin in this one and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were to put it, I mean, we could riff on these things for a million hours, but we have to go make dinner for people. There's like hungry people showing up at both of our houses soon expecting And to be I fed. like making dinner for people. It <laughs> mm-hmm. feels I mean, not every parent, but I it's one skill that is useful that I have. <laughs> I don't you have know a what? lot of them. <laughs> a, a mom said recently, she said something shifted for her when I shared at some point that I feed people because it makes our, for me, my anchor is I just always wanted the night to run smoothly. And so if Mm. we, if there wasn't a lot of like, oh gosh, what are we eating for dinner energy? If it was just like, yeah, here's the dinner, we're doing it. I was like, it made our night run more smoothly. And that's what I actually cared about. So I just sort of like, found my systems. Um, I did not come up with them, but I found my systems over the years. And I said, truly, I feed people. It comes from a place of love because really, and, and I don't love cooking and I don't even think that I'm great at it. I would call myself more of a functional cook. Um, Although I am, I'm getting a little, my husband's been doing it more with me lately. So that might be changing in empty nesterhood um, right on time. But I have always provided the dinner 
and I do it from a place of love because I want, like, I want this day to end and I want it to be a good day. And so when we, when the night goes smoothly, you know, it's just like, that was a good day. That was another good day. Like, I love that. mm -hmm. And I will say that I cook, but in our house, the cook decides the food. Mm. Like if you're cooking it, then you decide what you get to eat. So in some ways it's selfless, in some ways it's selfish. <laughs> love it. I love it's a it. good balance, right? It's like this is not input from the other people that are not cooking. No, no. I, if you come in and start so working, you can mix it. Yeah, that's so good. Um, okay. Well, thanks a million. And thanks yes. everyone for listening. And until next time, have a great, great Bye. week. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening today, guys. I hope you picked up some tips, tools, maybe some baby steps for creating more balance and boundaries in your life. And I just wanted to let you know, if you want to continue moving the needle forward in creating this for yourself, having a happier household, I want you to go to my website and check out mastermindparenting.com. We have three beginning programs, and if you need some accountability and more support, then please look for the one that would be a good fit for you. Um, And as always, we're on all the social channels under Mastermind Parenting. On Instagram, it's Mastermind underscore Parenting. Um, And, you know, periodically, I do pop up on different Instagram lives, Facebook lives, where I give you teaching and coaching, and I love engaging with you live to help you help your strong-willed kids so that they can feel better, because when they feel better, they do better. And um, I love, love, love getting to know you guys. So thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Super, super appreciative.